Where might I meet up with Jesus? How can I know him? Who does he meet with? I want him to reveal himself to me. Good morning and welcome to God's Resistance. God's Resistance is local in Wilkesbury in the Wyoming Valley and spreading elsewhere. If you need someone to talk to or to pray with and you're interested in joining a small group to help you live as a disciple of Christ, then stay tuned for contact info. My name is Eric Samborski, and I want to thank you for tuning into God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. And if you missed this radio broadcast or any of the previous ones, then look for God's Resistance on your favorite podcast platform, YouTube. There'll be a premiere video of each one at 9 a.m. on every Sunday. At the same time, there is airing on the uh, radio station. And also check out or look for these videos at my Gab TV account. All of those and all the social media accounts you can find by typing in God's Resistance. That is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. When you get to those pages, make sure to press the like button, to follow, to turn on notifications so that you can get all the content that is, going, uh, that is put up on there for you. So uh, you can also contact us directly at gods.resistance at gmail.com, or you can just give us an old-fashioned phone call at 570-362-7782. Now let's listen in on today's briefing. In our American minds, we think probably the best place to encounter God is at church. Whenever we think about the things of God, we think of a church. When disaster strikes inside of a community or something, we think of church. When I'm trying to get over a tough spot in my life, I need to go to church. How many times has something like that come up? I've dealt with many people that have been in that situation, and I myself, before I became a Christian, was like that. Some, things are terrible. I probably should get to church. So I think whether it's conscious with some people or just subconsciously, we think, if I want to encounter God, I've got to get to church. And it's certainly more plausible that you're going to encounter Christ, you're going to encounter God, and have more exposure to him at a church. Some people, however, I've talked with them on the street, you've talked with them too, maybe. Maybe you're one of these people. Some people have rejected this notion that, you know, it's more plausible to meet God in church, so I should go there. And they say that they worship God in their own way. They don't have to go to a church building to do that. I just want to tell you, at large, the large percentage of the time when somebody says that, what's really going on is they don't really worship God. There may be sins in their life that they just don't want to face, they don't want to get rid of or deal with. They know if they go to a church, that's going to happen there. Or maybe they just really have not a, a big appetite for true spiritual things, uh, according to Christianity. So they say, I just worship in my own way. That's kind of like a way to shake you off from them and say, please don't bother me. I do my own thing. Um, and that is the large majority of people, I'm afraid, if they're to be honest with their hearts. The truth is, it, with all that being said, God isn't limited to a church to encounter lost people. That would be terrible if the only place that somebody would be able to encounter God would be at a church building? What if people are bedridden in a hospital? What if they're in a, a bad marriage situation and you know the, the husband won't let the wife go out and the wife really would like to go to a church, but she can't. She's in danger of her life. There could be so many different obstacles in the way. 
But it would be terrible if the only place we could find God is in a church. I just want to tell you, listener, you will find him out and about. You'll find him in a church. You'll find him on a street corner. You'll find him when the lights are closed off and you are, or turned off rather, and you're laying in your bed at night alone. You'll find him there. You'll find him in your deepest sorrows. You'll find him in those drunken stupors where you wish you didn't get yourself into that predicament. You'll find him on the streets. You'll find him in homes. You'll find him walking through the park. You'll find him anywhere. You might find him, dear listener, where you are right now. So with that being said, I would like to look at another encounter with Christ that we find in John chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. It says, On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour is not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up right up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This The first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. That in and of itself, just reading that, transports you, gives you a picture of Jesus that perhaps is somewhat elusive to us. Um, I think there's a lot of things that we hear about Jesus, but what about just the homeliness of Christ? His condescension in that he just meets people right where they are. And he may be in the most commonplace, ordinary situations that you would find yourself. So that's the first point that I'd like to look at. The, the first point is the place where Jesus chose to show up. Jesus chose to show up in Cana of Galilee. Now, I did a little search trying to find out a little bit more about Cana of Galilee. Uh, I know sometimes people on YouTube, they'll do YouTube tours of certain places, and it kind of can bring you in. Now, there is a place today that's called Cana of Galilee, which it seems to be in the 17th century. They moved it from its original location to there because it was just easier for tourists or pilgrimage people um, to get there and go to the place where Jesus turned water into wine. However, it appears to be through archaeology and other things that the real site is, a, uh, I can't remember, a few miles north of present-day Cana, uh, and I can't remember the name of it. I think I have it written down here. Yes, it was. It was a very small town set on a hill, if it's this place, and uh, the place is called Kerbet Cana, Q-A-N-A. Uh, this was the Byzantine site of pilgrimage on a map, and these date back to the 5th century. So um, it's called Kerbet Cana, and if that was the case and that was the place, it's a very small town 
set on a hill. When I say town, I mean, it's even smaller than what you and I know of today. And still, this very day, there are some archaic roads. When I say archaic, it's there's no vegetation on the roads, but it's a bunch of boulders and such, and you can't really drive a car up there very easily. Um, they would have a very difficult time getting up there, even today. The the thing is, is you know, there there could be a couple different sites of Cana, but uh, archaeologically, it seems it points in that direction. When I look at that, even in present day. There's not a lot of things around there. It's not a big metropolis. There, I mean, you can see other like villages and places off in the distance, which for mountains could be miles. And here's this little hill and this little town or village on the top of the hill. Very humble and poor place. I mean, the only thing that makes this place famous is probably Jesus going there to this wedding. But really, when you think about it, Jesus going to this small little place where at that time, I mean, I'd be surprised if over 200 people even lived there. It's so unassuming of somebody of such great importance, the king of the universe, Jesus Christ, the one that spoke all things into existence without the word was nothing made. It's so unassuming of somebody like that to go to this poor little place, to go to this poor place of Cana of Galilee. It would be something like, we're here in the Wyoming Valley, uh, Wilkes-Barre area. If you're not from around here and you hear this, you know, through the internet or somewhere else, check it out on um, Google Maps. Uh, you'll know what I'm talking about. But to those listeners that are listening in the Valley and the radio here, it would be like the president of the United States coming to Shikshini. Nothing wrong with Shikshini. It's just very small. Uh, there's, no, there's nothing in Shikshini that would put it on a map, so to speak. But it would be like the president coming to Shikshini, and he blesses and shows his honor and grace to the people that are there, and he does it alone. He doesn't have his bodyguards with him. He doesn't have anybody else with him. In fact, nobody knows that he's even there. That's what it would be like with Jesus showing up to Cana of Galilee. Jesus, he didn't want the publicity. Jesus was there to bless, and he wasn't there to be blessed. What a, what a sermon could be preached out of that? What, what riches can be pulled from that? On the other side of the coin, Jesus could have showed up at a fancy wedding in Jerusalem with the chief priest, but he came to this obscure and lonely place set on a hill all by itself. That's where Jesus chose to go. He could have done so much higher, but that's where he chose intentionally to go. And the mere fact that he was invited to this wedding in Cana of Galilee shows his familiarity with the humble and the poor people. He chose to go there to Cana of Galilee. He went to a wedding of very humble, poor people that did not have a lot. Now, he wasn't yet revealed as this Messiah, as this public figure, so there wasn't a whole bunch of buzz about him necessarily, but that's his roots. It's where he came from. That's the kind of setting he grew up in. And there it seems that the, the compassion and heart of God is once again displayed in the most humble means. That gives me hope. I don't know about you, listener, but that gives me hope to think that God doesn't forget the nobodies. Our name's not put on any special charts. People aren't like, oh, wow, when they look at me or when they look at you. But yet Jesus comes down to the lowest of the low 
and reveals himself to them in such miraculous ways, and it's recorded over and over in the scripture. You might be feeling like that obscure nobody, but I just want to encourage you, even from this, Jesus seeks you out. He's seeking your company. Remember, he was accused of the Pharisees that he is a friend with publicans and sinners, prostitutes. I can't believe it. Why is he even eating with them? If you knew the kind of person that were, you wouldn't be sitting there next to him. That was the attitude of the Pharisees. However, that was the company Jesus chose. And if you feel like you're the obscure nothing person, he comes to where you are. You're not so insignificant to him. He is seeking out souls that are hungry. Oftentimes, people that have been through the hard knocks of life, they're a little more in touch with their soul hunger than those that have a pretty decent life. And I'm not saying the people that have a pretty decent life don't need Jesus. It's just harder for them to understand that they do. But, you know, I just want to tell you, in present day, Jesus would show up under a bridge where people are gathered around a fire to keep warm. Jesus would be there. Jesus would show up at a birthday party of a young boy whose parents are drug addicts and addicted to drugs. Jesus would show up in the home of a drunkard who's burned all his bridges, has not a soul in the world that's his friend and is all alone. Jesus would show up there. I know he would. You know, we think about Jesus and we think, you could go anywhere. And yet, you chose this place. You chose this low place. Yes, he did, dear listener. He chose Cana of Galilee. And he'll choose your place. The thing is, sometimes Jesus can come right into our midst and we don't even realize it. He's so near to us and yet he could just brush by us and he'd just kind of be like someone else. But to the hungry soul, to the thirsty soul, to the soul that's beat down in the dust, when he walks by, you notice it and you think, I need some help. Something, there's something in that man. I need his help. The name of Jesus, there's something in that name. Oh, I need his help. And you know what? He will not pass you by. If your heart has any sort of sympathy to what I'm saying right now, and you're, you're reaching out with your hand, he will not pass you by. He will come to the low places where you are. In case you've just tuned in, you are listening to God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the world, and the devil. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at God's Resistance. That is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. You can also email us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or call us at 570-362-7782. So we were looking at where Jesus chose to show up. And now we're going to look at the knowledge of his power. When I start to realize, okay, this is Jesus. This is him. He's here. Well, let's look inside of the account that we read. Mary, Jesus' mother, she recognized his power. and She may have recognized his power well before everyone else because she's lived with him all these 30 years. And remember, there's places in the scripture where it said that all the things 
that she experienced, that she saw, that she heard, she tucked them away in her heart or pondered them in her heart. A few of those, to mention them, are the shepherds coming to the manger. Why are shepherds the lowliest of people coming to this manger and bowing? And then the three kings. These three kings are bowing down to my baby son. They're heathen kings. They're, they're not even Jewish. What in the world is going on? The old widow at the temple that's after Jesus' birth. Or how about the old man that's there? Just they, they broke out in spontaneous praise. She tucked this away in her heart. That's Mary, the mother of Jesus. And then Jesus, when he was 12 years old, lost in Jerusalem. And when she goes a day's journey away and realizes he's not there and goes back and tries to find him, she sees that he's been talking with the religious leaders. And he seems to have more understanding of the scriptures than most people, even you know, twice his age. And they're astonished at it. She says, why did you do that? You scared your father and I to death, essentially. And he says, don't you know I must be about my father's business? She tucked that away in her heart. So Mary, she had probably the, the, the most open idea of the knowledge of the power of Christ. Now, her son, so far as God is concerned, by a virgin birth, but God, the Son of God, she knew that there was power in him. So we have that. And the account reads that they come to a wedding and the wine ran out. Now, just a little bit of history. Weddings of those times, it was typical for um, weddings to last about seven or eight days, a feast that is. Okay, so there might be the wedding ceremony, but there was a celebration. It was family. It was social. They got together. It was joyous. You made this covenant under God, and it was just wonderful. And it was the joy of people to be married and to have children. That was a sign of God's blessing and favor on you. So a wedding was wonderful. And they celebrated this for seven to eight days. Now, I do want to say this. Sometimes people are like, oh, the wine ran out, and um, Jesus made more wine, so it's okay to drink wine. And Essentially, what they're saying is it's okay to get drunk, and God's not upset with that, even though it says many other places in Scripture that drunk, drunkenness is sin and leads to hell. I do want to say Jesus here is not advocating that people just get drunk, as some people su- suppose. This is a feast that goes on for seven to eight days. So they were drinking uh, wine, which would not be the same kind of wine that you and I have in these days, though there may be alcoholic content solely because they're in the desert and uh, they don't have any other means of preserving certain things, but they would have done so in such uh, a temperance, and they were, there was no drunkenness at this wedding, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. But here, Jesus shows up, likely coming in the middle of this celebration feast, and what a, what a strange contrast between John the Baptist who is an austere man and kind of a recluse living out in the desert, and then Jesus, the Son of God, coming into a wedding feast, a celebration of a wedding for these seven or eight days, and he made it, came in, in the middle of it. But Jesus was social. He was mingling with the people. He was a part of what was happening there. He came in to that wedding, and the wine ran out. And Mary, she was, seems like she was very concerned and perhaps maybe even embarrassed about what was taking place. She honestly believed that Jesus had power to change the circumstance, otherwise she wouldn't have approached him, but she did. So perhaps she was embarrassed for the host that they didn't have enough wine for the feast and it would bring shame on this poor family uh, because a wedding would have been a big deal. You wouldn't go to a wedding and then get there and find out, we don't have enough food to feed everybody, sorry. Oh, that would be embarrassing to the uh, people who are putting on the wedding. 
but it's very likely here that the bride or bridegroom's family were um, Mary's relatives. So here, she may have been concerned about the relatives. Jesus was probably familiar with these people. Um, and they are, she's embarrassed. They're out of wine. So she comes to Jesus. Jesus, do something. Jesus, they're running out of wine. And he says, what concern of this is ours that they should run out of wine? Like, that's not why I came here. A lot of people may read that, that kind of phrasing and think he sounded kind of rude or disrespectful to his mother. However, if you do any bit of study into that culture, the way that he spoke uh, was not at odds with the highest honor and respect. Uh, you can read it in other writings and um, even commentaries throughout the Bible. Uh, showing that that was a normal figure of speech. So he was just saying, basically, Mom, it's, it's not my time yet. I came here for a specific purpose. And, you know, what does this have to do with the purpose that I'm here? That's essentially uh, what Jesus was saying. But she says, do something about it. He gives her this soft kind of rebuke and says it wasn't his time to be revealed yet. The funny thing is, is after he says this to Mary, she says, turns around to everyone else, do whatever he tells you. She knew his heart of compassion. And though he said it wasn't his time, we see that. Jesus had compassion on this family, and they're, they're really, in the, in the large scope of things, so insignificant issue. But yet, he condescended right there. He chose to reveal his power and to, and to reveal his public ministry in this lowly social gathering, gathering with poor people at a wedding. And I just want to say, take comfort, weary soul. Jesus is not so lofty, you can't reach him. He's right down at your level. And we see that here. This is who Jesus is, according to the Bible. When we know his power, then we have more of a boldness to press a claim on him in the place of prayer. So in other words, when we experience Jesus' power, his manifest presence, wherever you want to call it, whatever you may have experienced, when you experience that, what does that make you do? Mary knew his power, and she pleaded a favor of him. But this is the encounter she had. Let's look at the encounter some others had. Jesus shows himself directly to his servants. And also, I would say, the disciples that were then with him, which were likely James, John, Peter, Andrew, Philip, and Nathaniel at that point. Most people would, and in that situation with Jesus, be tempted to flaunt themselves in such a way to get fame. But Jesus keeps this exposure small on purpose. He does this miracle right in front of the servant's eyes, which also are some of the lowest people of society in those days. He does it in front of them. They're the ones that get to see the miracle. There's six stone water uh, jars right there in the room wherever he was. And they held about 20 to 30 gallons apiece, so 120 to 180 gallons total uh, would fill up those six jugs. And I think that it was like he told them to fill up all these so much, they probably didn't need that much more. But it's like he did this to show the nature of his power and, and the, the abundance of his heart. So it wasn't just abundance, though. It was of the highest quality because the servants were told by Jesus, he said, fill the jars with water. So they fill them up to the brim, it tells us. And then he commands them to draw the water from it. Now draw out from there. So when that happened, the servants, they immediately saw that what they drew out of that pot 
was not what they put in there. What they drew out was wine. And it says so at the end of verse uh, 9, the second half of verse 9, it tells us this fact that that's, that was their, their, their knowledge there, that they saw the miracle there. And if that wasn't enough, Jesus said, when you draw this out, go take it to the governor of the feast. Now, the governor of the feast was kind of like the master of ceremonies. He kind of kept things moving. He was the spokesman. He would have been the guy that stood up with a microphone and told everybody what was happening next. He was the governor of the feast. Jesus said, take it to that man. So he takes it to that man, and it's like Jesus, he wanted the servants, and he wanted his disciples to know that a miracle really did just happen, and it wasn't just some trick on their eyes. So the test of his power was the governor of the feast's announcement after drinking and tasting of this last of the wine. The servants had their testimony. They experienced something themselves, but now they have the joint testimony of this man when he stands up and says, this is the best wine that I've ever had. The best wine is usually put out in the beginning of the, we- the wedding, and then the dregs are left for the end of it. But you, and he compliments the bridegroom, which I think was Jesus' point from the beginning. He compliments the bridegroom, and he says, but you, you have put out the best wine. This poor family could have been terribly embarrassed because of running out of wine. And Jesus does a miracle in such a way to get himself out of the spotlight, reveal himself to the lowly servants and those few, the few handful of his disciples that he had with him. And then everyone else is ignorant, and Jesus' mother, everyone else is ignorant of what just happened. That's who Jesus decided to display himself to and then bless the man who is the bridegroom's father. And you see the heart of Jesus to help these people in such a lowly and simple situation. So we're told that the effect of this is that the servants believed in him, and so did his disciples. And everyone else was ignorant of what happened. So Jesus accomplishes two purposes. He's a blessing to this family that's run out of the wine, a blessing to his mother, and then He also is showing the servants and his disciples who he is in his great and mighty power before the entire public has any idea what's going on. And I just want to say to you, you might be a part of a small miracle. God may allow this to happen in your life so that Jesus can reveal himself only to you because he wants you to realize he is personally interested in you. It's not just a religion a set of rules, a story in a book, but he's a living person and he wants to reveal himself that way to you, that he cares about you and where you are. He may not approve of everything that you are doing in your life, but he cares about you enough to come down where you are and say, why don't you follow me? And he changes your life and your heart radically. He won't leave you in there doing that, but he will give you help. He'll give you blessing. He'll give you grace and turn your entire life around. That's what he wants. So you might be a part of a small miracle so that he can reveal himself to you. I would just ask the question, how would that encounter affect you? Would it make you just be, you know, in awe because this awesome miracle or something took place? And so you'd almost be more excited about the miracle than the person who did it? Or would it draw you to him? Maybe something like that has happened in your life already. Would that draw you to Jesus? Would you, by seeing that, say, I've got to figure out more about him? 
And in this day, I'm, I'm going to pray. I got I to gotta read my Bible. I've got to figure this out. Who is this man? Why does he love me like this? I remember that's what broke me when I realized, how is it that this man died for me when I am not trying to go for him? That broke me. And you know, Jesus is going to come down right to where you are because he wants to break you and then he wants to mold you and then he wants to make you. So are you staying out of church because you want to meet Jesus or because you're afraid that maybe your sins might be found out? I just want to tell you, dear listener, that those that want to meet Jesus are earnest in doing so. Are you ready for the light of Jesus to come out and shine on you and show you things about yourself that perhaps are not so comfortable? You'd rather not look it square in the face? I just want to tell you, you may find Jesus at church, but you may also find Jesus at work, but wherever you find him, he's going to change you and make you an entirely new person and set you on the right course. Your next step is to call us at 570-362-7782 or email us at gods.resistance at gmail.com. I want you to introduce yourself to me. Let's set up a time to get together and talk. Tell your friends about this broadcast. Like and follow us on our social media platforms, Facebook, YouTube, Gab. You'll get more content there and connect with others that are on their journey. And I want you to tell your friends about this broadcast every Sunday at 9 a.m. But above all, join the resistance. God's resistance. A special thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission for the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under Attribution Share Alike 4.0 International Creative Commons license. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen essay forward slash 4.0 forward slash legal code.